Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 585 for the 25th of March, 2018. This week, there is no small amount of controversy between those who feel that artificial intelligence is an essential part of the future and those who say that artificial intelligence will kill us all. Let's consider those divergent points of view. In short circuits, Facebook lost $50 billion worth of value this week. Attorneys general around the country are investigating the company's business practices and legislators in the U.S. and Europe are demanding that Mark Zuckerberg explain the company's business practices. Columbus is still in the running for Amazon's second headquarters operation, but Ohio is in the bottom half of states in a ranking based on innovation. The next Windows update will give users better control over security, but otherwise it won't have any exciting new features. In spare parts, only on the website, most people seem not to be worried that companies know a lot about us and they want the companies to use that information to personalize their shopping experiences. And a company is offering the ability to book an overnight stay in the Empire State Building. Good luck figuring out how to apply, though. British science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke formulated three adages known as Clarke's Law starting in 1963 with this one. When a distinguished but elderly scientist states that something is possible, he is almost certainly right. When he states something is impossible, he is very probably wrong. We're certainly seeing that with the advances being made in artificial intelligence now. Later, Clarke added a second law. The only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. And around 1972, he added a third. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Some scientists and technologists are offended by that third law, apparently because they have misread it and believe that Clark was saying that technology is magic. Parsing the sentence shows that that's not the case at all. Had Clark wanted to say that technology is magic, his third law would have read like this, any sufficiently advanced technology is magic. Instead of any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. In more than a few ways, Adobe's Sensei technology has reached that indistinguishable from magic plateau. Many of the advanced features added to the company's various products in the past couple of years are dependent on Sensei. Writing on the Adobe blog, Scott Prevost, vice president of engineering at Adobe, said with artificial intelligence and machine learning, computers today learn as they are exposed to more data without the need for explicit programming. They're really good at finding and understanding patterns and inferring rules about it, he said. But that's really just the beginning. Today's technologies, such as Sensei, use content understanding to help digital artists locate appropriate images. 
This is seen primarily in Adobe's stock image offerings, where keywords can be combined with other aspects, such as depth of field, color intensity, and image content, to shorten the time needed to find the exactly right image. Next, the content-aware functions come into play. Someone who is creating an advertisement may have identified an ideal image except for one thing. Maybe it has too much space or too little space where some text would go. The various content-aware functions, and particularly the most recent Select Subject option, can save a lot of time as the graphic designer modifies the image to fit the need. A third function Prevost mentions in his blog post is the ability for machine learning to assist the designer in evaluating and predicting the effectiveness of the work. I'm familiar with the first two uses, but that third one stopped me. We are definitely encroaching on the area covered by Clark's third law right now. Here's what Provost wrote in explaining how AI and machine learning can make it possible for brands and businesses to personalize messages and measure how consumers respond to them. Machine learning helps make predictions and recommendations about which combination of images, video, and text will drive the most online traffic or generate the most conversions for a particular audience segment, he said. This can help a marketer craft different creative messages for users on mobile compared to desktop and then easily switch out images and messaging to align with what the audience expects to engage with on that channel. Artificial intelligence is what makes it possible to find a store that sells what you're looking for. AI is also what your bank uses to send a text message when an unusual charge appears on your credit card. And it's what helps you remove an object or a person from the background of a photo that you took. If you'd like to learn more about how it's possible to create a machine that thinks, take a look at an introduction to artificial intelligence. You'll find it on the Adobe blog, and there's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website this week, www.techbiter.com. The disruption and transformation that will result from AI are remarkable. In fact, that's likely the part of what has attracted Elon Musk's attention. The man responsible for SpaceX, the Tesla electric car, and some real breakthroughs in solar power detests artificial intelligence. Vanity Fair reports an incident in which Musk and AI developer Demis Hassabis were discussing the most important projects in the world. Musk reportedly said that the ultimate goal of SpaceX is interplanetary colonization, in part to have an escape plan when AI takes over. Hassabis says, well, don't worry about it. AI will just follow you to Mars. Musk has been promoting the anti-AI message since 2014, and he maintains that it is the greatest existential threat to human life. Musk says that the leading AI companies have tried to ensure safety because they do recognize the danger. AI developers believe they can shape and control the digital superintelligence, he says, and prevent the bad ones from escaping onto the Internet. That, he says, remains to be seen. Well, we can hope that Musk is wrong, but if the past is any indicator of the future, good technology can be put to bad use, and it has been time after time. Computers have been able to pass Alan Turing's 1951 test for quite some time now. Modern AI technology really got underway in the 1980s when if-then logic rules allowed what were at the time called expert systems to perform at least some basic reasoning. 
These step-by-step systems, though, were cumbersome to build, and they were likely to fail when the system encountered a condition that the programmer hadn't accounted for. Now computer scientists are developing neural networks. A designer who needs to remove something from a photograph using Photoshop has several tools to choose from. If the needed change is something simple, an airplane being removed from a blue sky, for example, the clone stamp tool is usually sufficient. Very little AI is involved there. On the other hand, a more complex change, such as removing a tree from an image that contains several objects in the background, and a sky with clouds, might be handled better by content-aware fill that makes extensive use of AI. Well, at least one thing is clear. AI is going to be a part of our future, and we probably shouldn't be too surprised when we encounter unintended consequences. This is probably not a good time to think about The Sorcerer's Apprentice from Disney's Fantasia. In short circuits, it's not uncommon to hear people say that they would drop Facebook immediately if a viable alternative existed, but one doesn't. Perhaps the latest news about Facebook and Cambridge Analytica will at least convince people to use Facebook more safely. The Cambridge Analytica chapter is, though, only the latest chapter in a long story. The trouble with opting out of Facebook entirely is that there is currently no comparable replacement to share information with family and friends, and political rivals, of course. Some have suggested an optional annual fee that would allow users to opt out of all features that Facebook uses to make money. You'd have a choice of paying an annual fee. Some have suggested $75 for the service without ads and other unwanted features or continuing to use the service for free and accept the fact that you are Facebook's product and the advertisers are their real customers. But if you want to make some improvements right now, there are three things you can do. First, opt out of Platform Application Program Interface Sharing, API Sharing. Second, use an ad blocker. And third, install a Facebook management tool such as Facebook Purity or Social Fixer. Let's take a look at those three options. We'll start with Platform Opt-Out. Matt Cruz, the developer of Social Fixer, says we should ignore Facebook's quizzes and personality tests and stop using what he calls those cute, most-used-words apps. The apps harvest more of your data than most of us realize, and often they continue to read your posts long after you've forgotten about them. In some cases, they can see data from your friends, too. The Electronic Frontier Foundation has a post that explains how to opt out of platform sharing. It's a very easy process. Just log into Facebook, open Settings, and then choose Applications. Then you can edit apps, websites, and plugins to disable the feature. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Once you've logged into Facebook, you can just copy and paste that link, and it'll take you to the precise location where you can disable that feature. If you don't want to entirely disable the platform apps, you can open Apps Others Use, it's right there on the same page, and then deselect any of the types of information that you want to hide from the apps. A better choice, though, is completely opting out of the platform sharing. Second, 
use an ad blocker. I recommend Adblock Plus. It's a free plugin for most browsers. You'll find it in the browser's add-ons or extensions section. And third, how about installing a Facebook manager? Social Fixer for Facebook is my preference, but Facebook Purity, which is also known as Fluffbuster, is also a good choice. Both are available from the browser's add-ons or extensions section. Facebook Purity was developed by Steve Fernandez, a UK-based programmer. It is donationware, and it's available for Firefox, Chrome, Microsoft Edge, Safari, Opera, and Maxlon. Social Fixer by Matt Cruz is also donationware. It runs on Firefox, Chrome, Safari, and Opera. And it's not like this is a new problem. We've known that Facebook has been doing this for years. It's just that the Cambridge Analytica thing popped up, and suddenly it became everybody's top-of-mind issue. Well, this week, investors reduced the value of Facebook by about $50 billion, and politicians in the U.S. and Europe are calling for investigations, including a demand that CEO Mark Zuckerberg testify to investigators. There is increased attention from the Federal Trade Commission because Facebook accepted a settlement in 2011 in which it promised that third-party apps would not be allowed to access users' data. Little has changed, and the apps have continued to be able to access a great deal of data about users. The FTC could fine Facebook up to $40,000 a day. That probably seems like a lot of money to you. certainly does to me. But Facebook has daily revenues of more than $100 million. $100 million per day. So a $40,000 fine? <laughs> They'd pay that out of petty cash. Business and government agencies in the U.S. will spend about $553 billion this year on research and development. Innovation is one of the indicators that Amazon is considering in its search for a second headquarters location. Research that ranks states based on innovation has some surprises. Before we get to that, let's take a look at Amazon's list. Columbus, which is where I live, surprised a lot of people by showing up in Amazon's list of 20 finalist contenders. It's an unlikely prospect, though. The other 19 are Atlanta, Austin, Boston, Chicago, Dallas, Denver, Indianapolis, Los Angeles, Miami, Montgomery County, Maryland, Nashville, Newark, New York City, Northern Virginia, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Raleigh, Toronto, and Washington, D.C., if innovation is one of Amazon's primary considerations, it's not good news that Ohio ranks 33rd on WalletHub's analysis that takes into account 22 key indicators of innovation friendliness. These include things like science, technology, engineering, and math professionals, research and development spending per capita, and tech company density. According to WalletHub, Massachusetts is the most innovative state, Mississippi, is at the other end of the list. Ohio is one step above Alaska, but below states such as Montana, Indiana, Wyoming, and Michigan. Taking a wider view, the United States is the fourth most innovative nation on the planet, falling behind Switzerland, Sweden, and Netherlands. 
Togo, Guinea, and Yemen are at the bottom of the world list. That's according to the Global Innovation Index. You'll find a link to that list on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The Wallet Hub research compared the 50 states and the District of Columbia across two key dimensions, human capital and innovation environment. The full report and an explanation of the methodology are on the Wallet Hub website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. The slow ring computer on my desk this week received an update to Windows version 17,115, and it previews what users will see in a few weeks when Microsoft issues the spring update for Windows 10. The coming update will include a lot of changes to the setup experience for privacy settings in a way that Microsoft hopes will allow users to make better decisions about computer privacy. There will also be new settings for inking and typing and Find My Device. These settings may appear on a single screen or on separate screens in the preview version. Both of those options have been pushed out, each to a different set of insider users. The settings will allow users to have more granular control over what information is sent to Microsoft. For inking and typing, users can allow the system to send data to Microsoft so that it can be used to improve language recognition. Developers use that information to find ways to make the process better and to improve predictive text suggestions. The Find My Device option is useful for all computers, but particularly for mobile devices. When activated, the service can report the location of the computer to the owner. This can be helpful in attempting to recover a stolen computer. It works, though, only if the user has created a Microsoft account, not just a local account on the computer. So, the spring update will be kind of a low-key event. Don't expect any groundbreaking changes this time around. And there are no groundbreaking changes in spare parts, only on the website. This week, most people seem not to be too worried that companies know a lot about us, and they actually want the companies to use that information to personalize their shopping experiences. And a company is offering the ability to book an overnight stay in the Empire State Building, but good luck in figuring out how to apply. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.